Welcome back to another podcast. Uh, this is part two of the personal development podcast with psychologist and co-founder of the Trainers Forum, Mitya Chernko. Uh, if you missed episode one, I recommend you go back and look over it. Although at the start of this one, I will do a quick recap, um, mainly looking at whether personal development has an essence or not, which means we could generalize from it and hence provide a framework for all people to follow. Uh, for an educational system based on personal development very ambitious i know um and also looking at the evolutionary traps which make the talk around personal development so necessary for the modern world uh, social media drugs alcohol different kinds of technology video games attention caption models uh, attention capture business models and how that affects people's growth and development and why that's the biggest challenge of the 21st century, really. Um, so if you enjoy the content, make sure to subscribe to the Substack. Uh, you'll get essays and podcasts to your inbox every Thursday filled with actionable ideas and insights. You can't get anywhere else. Uh, there aren't that many people talking about this kind of stuff. So make sure to sign up and yeah, hopefully it'll tickle your fancy. So without further ado, here's a podcast. Oh. Welcome back, everybody. I am joined again by Mitya, um, and we are launching off into another exploration of personal development. Just for a quick recap of what we were talking about last week, I mean, we covered a lot of ground, really. Kind of starting off with Mitya was showing the differences between the kind of biological and social development, kind of getting towards the, the kernel of what we can actually kind of what we have influence over in our development. We were talking about, you know, cybernetic big five theory, um, symbolic evolution happening on the level of the individual and talking about mainly personal development as a kind of individual evolution or the process of individual, the process of evolution happening in the individual, changing character traits to change habits, to change personality traits over time. Um, and, you know, how the mechanisms behind that and then kind of going into the the developmental crisis that we find ourselves in, the evolutionary traps uh, which have been set up for people in their development um, to take advantage of our need for social status, our need for, you know, fatty foods, um, and why the conversation of personal development is relevant in the first place um other topics that we went into i mean were like virtues um pseudo satisfiers long-term satisfiers the trade-offs between immediate and delayed gratification um and how personality isn't just this kind of nucleus or personal development isn't just a nucleus of the individual it's related it happens in a context um that it is indeed development towards fittedness to an environment that is always changing. And so there was kind of a debate um, that we were getting into, which was, 
is there an essence of personal development is there something that we can pull out as a, as an ideal or as something a a an end point to which personal development it, uh, can aspire to or um is it this ongoing non teleological sort of evolutionary process that doesn't have a a fixed um a fixed ending or a fixed yeah um a goal state that we can get to and then also talking about psychological literacy evolutionary literacy and how we can develop our metacognitive understanding of this process and somehow institute it in our own lives to change the wider culture and um to somehow kind of get out of this evolutionary traps and developmental crisis that we find ourselves in um is there anything you'd like to add to that, Mitra? Sorry, it's a bit of a rambling introduction, but welcome back. Um, and thank you so much again for, for getting involved in this. It's going to be pretty sick, I'm sure. Yeah, thank you. I just got a phone call. Um, so I dropped out for a while, but I, I was present <laughs> at the past session as well. So yeah. I think the final phases were, the final parts of your summary were, I got them. Mm. Mm. Yeah, maybe just one thing to point out, um, the evolutionary traps and stuff like that, right? I really want to make sure to point out that it's, I assume most of them are um, unintentional. Some of them might be intentional, um, but most of them are unintentional. So um, that's the first kind of thing I just wanted to preface. Mm. Yeah, and when it comes to this, the question you raise, like, what is personal development at its core? Because I think it's it's a word that's pretty, like, it's it's entered the common everyday lexicon, um, personal development, and usually it's it's applied in contexts where, you know, <laughs> yeah, sometimes, very rarely, people kind of enter into that process on their own. Like I need to develop personally, but usually it's only after substantial pain and suffering and frustration and failure and whatever. Um, and more often than not, it's something that we either out loud or with ourselves kind of stick on other people as a label. Damn, that guy or that girl or whoever, like they should do some personal development, you know. So it's it, it does have this normative component, right? Either directed to ourselves or to other mm -hmm. people. Um, and yeah, I think it's becoming very, very, very hot, like a very trending subject. Like, yeah, you know, it's good to personally develop, right? It's people should do it. I should do it. If I don't, like there's this fears of missing out, you know, being left behind the pressures of economy, you know, the market, whatever. So it's, but yeah, I, in preparation for this, for this, uh, dialogos, I'm, even even in spite of the short discussion we had before, I'm I'm still not sure about this. Like, what's the essence? If I would have a gun pressed to my head, like, how would I define it? I I think I would I would have this Zen moment of blanking out for five seconds and then probably <laughs> trying to pull out some Zen on to, to confuse the guy, you know. But um, I don't know. Yeah, just throw something out. I don't know. For me, like the maybe to, to kind of sharpen the question a bit more or to tease out like one one aspect of it. Um, 
Could we define an essence to personal development in a way that Verveke and others, and with evolutionary theory even before, others kind of came to a conclusion mm -hmm. that they can't, right? Relevance supposedly has no essence. Mm -hmm. Evolution supposedly has no essence because it's very much dependent on the context. Yes. And, but you, you can kind of, or, or sorry, the fittedness, fitness does not have an essence, but evolution as the theory, the process by becoming more fit could have an essence. So, yeah, maybe for, for me, the question that kind of seems a, a fitting point is, is personal development, because with evolution, you have this uh, fittedness and evolution as the process of becoming fit. With relevance and relevance realization, you have yeah. relevance and then the process by which you realize it. So I'm wondering with personal development, what is its opposite? Like is personal development the essence or the kind of the core thing that's very in flux? Mm. Or is it the process of trying to kind of get to some place? Like and not to, to proliferate terms, right? If we do not want to <laughs> use terms like fittedness, um, being adapted, um yeah. Relevance, like what would be some of the terms we might use? Mm. Yeah, I mean, there's my first kind of instinct there was that it was the process. Um, and I, there's a distinction as well between fitness and fittedness in the sense of like fitness is the survival for people listening that fitness is, you know, the goal of evolution that you want to survive, essentially. So you need the fitness to survive in complex, dangerous environments. But and that fittedness is a kind of, yeah, and reproduce, yeah, and carry on uh the genes, but that fittedness is a is something different to that. Like uh, fitness is it's almost like the difference between like living and then the meaning of life. Like the fittedness is to do with it really thriving, I think, or being like you know, I'm almost thinking of like riding a wave or something properly. Like you can you could just be flopping around on it, or you could really be nailing it. Um, and so that fittedness has something to do with this being in in harmony with the environment. But that that it's very much connected to the context, and that's why there, you know, you can't have a a kind of an essence of fittedness because it's always context dependent, and you have the same problem with relevance realization. I mean, for people listening that aren't aware of relevance realization, I will attempt to do something of, of a uh, <laughs> brief summary, which I hope will not offend anybody <laughs> in the audience. Um, but relevance realization, anyway, for me, as, as I understand it, is that there's we have this problem, which is that we live in a complex environment with too much, too many things for us to pay attention to. I mean, this becomes apparent in the frame problem for AI um, when you try and get a robot to make decisions or a computer to make decisions and it has to analyze facts and it turns out there's an infinite number of facts which it can analyze. Uh, so the search space expands and it ends up in combinatorial explosion and it can't, it can't, I suppose, computationally make the decision. So the way that human beings, human beings somehow solve this problem, we can pay attention, we can zero in on relevant information without considering all of the information in the environment, which really shouldn't be possible because, I mean, the way we've thought that human beings work up until now was that that's what we did. We considered all of the options and then we made decisions based on that. Um, but it turns out there's too many options to consider. 
So in relevance realization, we we have bodies, we have salience, we have affective responses to information. You have to care about information for it to be relevant to you. And that this process is, um, in a sense, part of our embodied biological nature, but then also has interactions from prioritization coming down from the cultural level that interacts with the bottom-up motivational goals like thirst, hunger, sleep, um, and are constantly in an opponent processing relationship where we try to optimize for rewards versus costs um, as we kind of navigate the search space um, and to try and do that in a way that's optimum. Um, that was, a, again, a bit of a rambling kind of explanation, but this, for me, is really a core process. Is there anything you want to add to that, Misha, in terms of, I'm sure there's loads of um, loads of kind of, uh, yeah, points you could build on with it, but this seems to be, when we talk about evolution and individual evolution, I think relevance realization is the the point that we can, the solid foundation to build on. Hmm. Yeah, maybe what I would try to attempt is to kind of crunch that down even further <laughs> into kind of a soundbite thing that's easier to hold in our minds. Um, yeah, like you, yeah, like you often mentioned this, it's related on one, on one level to attention and to responses, right? So how do, what's relevant right now for me? And to give a very practical example, I just received a phone call during the podcast. It might be urgent. It might not be urgent, right? <laughs> so I needed to go through this process of figuring out like, okay, what it's, it involves attention, but it also involves mm -hmm. kind of responding, right? So yeah, it, I would, I would try to crunch it down. It's that it's the process by which we choose how to allocate our resources, maybe like attentional resources, um, motivational resources, metabolic energy, money, whatever words, you know, time during a conversation, whatever. Um, and yeah, maybe I would definitely, if I, if I had to kind of rank them in the ontological stack, like which one is deeper, I would for sure say relevance realization, right? Cause it's supposedly something that, uh, mm all minded animals do not just humans and maybe the mm -hmm. the slice of relevance realization that could be termed personal development and if we want to kind of take this evolutionary lens it's basically um figuring out which of your internal selves different roles that you could play different characters in a set right in a movie like which Oh, maybe the process of choosing which media should show up in this moment, that's, that's, that might be something towards personal development. But immediately after I say that, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm being kind of confronted with a different option, which is, okay, maybe that process of choosing how to show up, maybe that's kind of adaptation or something like that. But personal development could be a process mm. of shaping and forging the different selves that I have. So for example, there's Mitya the partner, there's Mitya the, the son, there's Mitya the psychologist, Mitya the whatever. Personal development might be a process of either, you know, 
consciously shaping up new selves to step into or the selves that we already have kind of tweaking them a bit like what they're capable of how they respond how they think how they perceive the world um yeah <laughs> perhaps that's super interesting mm, yeah because I, I was just thinking there in terms of like we talked about character traits and how the development of character traits through these like micro routines to develop your capacities and you could see how like if you're in a new situation say like you start working in a restaurant or something in the restaurant there's going to be all these processes that you have to learn and the difference then between when you're a complete novice everything's really complicated you're expending a lot of energy maybe the motivational reward is you're getting paid for it um but then by the time you carry on and you've incorporated all the micro routines you've mastered them you don't have to do them consciously anymore and you will have then adapted to that environment and you could say do much more with less energy or you'll at least not experience i suppose the alienation or the kind of mismatch the maladaption to the environment that you get as an amateur in it Mm -hmm. and then maybe personal development could be across all of those uh, different domains um that you develop those even transferable skills from one to another, although I know we're kind of skeptical of transferable skills, but um, across domains. um, But then I guess that we return to the previous argument, which was, is there an essence of that then? Or is that always fittedness? I guess you could argue because it's it's always an agent doing it. Is there something in being an agent that there's an essence of... Mm that will exist across domains as in like, I know Verveke makes a lot out of the four P's, the four ways of knowing. Um, and he does that in terms of the processes of knowing rather than the content of knowing, because if you did it by content, you'd know, say in the restaurant situation, you'd know how to peel a carrot. You'd know how that the sun exists. You'd know that, you know, you need to breathe oxygen, yada, yada. But um, if it's procedural or well, perspectival, participatory, procedural, um, prepositional, is that four, three? But um, that they are, exist across agents in a way. Maybe I've gone a little bit too far with that one. But um, Yeah, I mean, there's... Yeah, I wonder, in ter- yeah, sorry, go ahead. There's two, uh, one question that's coming up in my mind is, why does it matter <laughs> if it has an essence or does not have an essence? On one level, because I, I mm. feel in some way, yeah, um, yeah, I'm maybe I'm, I'm I'm blanking on what the distinction would be. Mm. Like if we the, say personality development, the relevance. Yeah, if personal development has an essence or has does not have an essence, like one implication that I mm. kind of already hear is the potential of making a science out of it, right? So if that's the question that we're trying to yes. ask, like what is what is something that we could make a science around, or at least a craft, or at least a few methods of artistic, you know, mm. engagement around personal development. So I'm I'm wondering, like what why is mm-hmm. this question? How do you find this question relevant, right? Why mm. does personal development have mm. or does not have an essence? Because for me, like that's the thing it comes down to, mm-hmm. like. Is it just purely idiosyncratic mm. and there's really nothing meaningful we can say to each person and they basically have to figure it out, you know, and it's their life and their mm. valid judgments and whatever. Or is there something yeah. like a domain general set of skills, right? And th- this is the third option where I mentioned personal development, either as a process of mm-hmm. kind of 
um, creating new roles into which to step, a process by which to shape the roles that already exist. Or the third one could be developing domain general capacities and skills across all of those four levels of the knowledge stack, right? That apply to all of the roles, right? So, because you could argue that, you know, becoming a better cook or whatever your profession is, that mm. might be personal development, but it might just be education and training in our professional development. So if we want to differentiate personal and professional and from education and different kind of stuff, I would feel comfortable with placing this ball for now, <laughs> the locus of attention, for developing domain general skills, right? Mm. Personal development being the kind of process by identifying the most relevant domain general skills, whatever they are, um, yeah, and then mm. cultivating them. So it's basically, it would involve a process of identifying your potential. If we take an example to make it more concrete, um, there could be a capacity, if we just take on the physical example, I don't know if we would consider kind of developing strength, stamina, flexibility as aspects of personal development, you know, because personal, if we do not mm. define personal development to just, you know, psychological capacities like empathy, like memorization, like um, problem solving or social skills, uh, like communication, cooperation, leadership, stuff like that. Um, yeah, then I think it, there's a process by identifying kind of your, your predispositions, things you're naturally good at. And then there's this tricky process of figuring out like, where's your limit? Because I'm assuming that certain people not all people could become chess grandmasters, even if they really, 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 really wanted to, or bodybuilders, or, or you know, swimmers who could swim, you know, the long distances. Or hmm. so I'm, yeah. There's this kind of I'm trying to really chunk it down into something very pragmatic, something very useful that could be kind of helpful for me in my personal development journey. So it, it involves steps like okay, hmm. identifying certain domain general capacities. I want to kind of cultivate, develop. Mm -hmm. um, so kind of the whole landscapes, different ones that could potentially be useful to cultivate. And then figuring out which of those kind of are the most relevant, the most needed in my current life context, given the challenges I'm facing, the aspirations I have, the goals that I have. Um, and then basically engaging in a process of trying to cultivate it and figuring out like, and I think here is a point where you would need to start referencing and comparing yourself to kind of others because it might turn out that you actually have a limited capacity to develop something. And then the right solution to this problem would not be to engage in personal development, seeing that you know there, there would be diminishing returns probably and a cap somewhere. But a better solution might be to actually change our environment, right? To, to kind of engage in a different career. Uh, you know, if, if, if it's an inter interpersonal problem that you're facing, to kind of try to move away from the relationship and find new ones. So I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how that Yeah, lands, it, yeah. It, it does complexify a little a bit, which is like something I guess that we kind of had um, touched on a little bit previously, which I was kind of trying to get to which was that you know the essence which was to try and get past the the different kinds of development the professional development the kind of that that this the personal development is a 
in some sense a broader big picture view of all of those things so like your professional development might teach you to make something salient over something else and then that's if within the specific kind of framework that that would be more adaptive or more fitted to the environment and that that would in a sense that there would be something you could measure i mean if you're putting it in like big five personality scales it's like okay you're too agreeable so like if you get the job as a chef and your boss is an asshole and they're picking on you all the time and it's terrible um you're not having a good time then the personal development might be then to become more assertive to develop that kind of more disagreeable side and thus gain that kind of personality flexibility that we talked about the ability to go from kind of to even though temperamentally you're skewed towards one side um you through practice gain the ability to see from the other side and you do it by reorienting your salience landscape towards this other um goal state which in theory is like a different personality um but not that it might not make you permanently disagreeable you'd probably still be an agreeable person but that you've learned the virtues of this different type of being which makes you a better agent in more arenas because you can still be you know your agreeable compassionate self but then you also have this other capacity to stand up for yourself maybe to say more openly what you think um and that that would be what i would consider to be personal development on a level that's beyond the micro routines it's it's on the in i guess in my view the deepest level I know I'm going like this and I'm saying deep, which is like, I don't, <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing with my hands. I think but, um, it's, it inverts uh, at some point, the higher is the deepest. Yeah. I think it's, uh, uh. yeah, that's very much what I, where, where I see it kind of lying at least. And that the, the interest for me is, it, I know we're going to talk about the evolutionary traps and the kind of the trappings, the developmental trappings that exist in the modern world that we talked about previously and for me it's very much about having a framework that you can give to people that will allow them to overcome those um or at least to help us make a better environment for Mm. people to take on that evolutionary literacy like it has a very clear function in that way um that's why the essence thing is relevant because if you're to define then say the essence of like what we talked about like the sages salience landscape so like that process of going from one side to the other side of the personality scale understanding those virtues and if you were to do that in multiple different domains and to in some sense master all the different poles of that or be able to understand them um, that you would be very efficient in a lot of different areas and that that would put you at an advantage over somebody else and then could you say that that's the aim of personal development um mm. and so it has again this real world application of we have developmental problems there's a massive industry giving completely conflicting advice to people um oftentimes that are just sometimes just plain wrong other times just to take advantage of them sometimes well-meaning um but that it we need the information in order to kind of reform those issues um that's why i think it's significant this this oh, this feels fresh. <laughs> it feels like we're uh, yeah we're tapping into into new 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 veins to kind of explore. Like what I really liked in what you said was um, like you grounded it in personality. Like 
personal development and personality mm. development it's just two letters away but i think there's there's a there's a valuable distinction there so personality development mm. as or maybe not yes development but with the goal of kind of personality uh, maybe to to share a kind of um an example of what this would mean is not necessarily shifting your traits, right? Because I, I do think there's an unanswered question as to whether the high end impossible. and the low end of a certain trait, if that's actually one thing as a dimension, or if there is, for example, you mentioned being very high unagreeable, and you described it, and it is described in the questionnaires as compassion, you know, stuff like that. Uh, being willing to adapt, to kind of make compromises, cooperate, whatever. But the opposite of that, mm-hmm. I could imagine both scenarios. Like, you could just not be good at it, and that's that, you know. But there's an, there's a kind of, yep. there's this opponent processing capacity, right? So to shift from personality traits to personality capacities. So being able to kind of empathize with, with another person and kind of expand your goal to encompass other people's goals while still not forgetting your own. That's one capacity that I I could imagine a training program to kind of cultivate it. But a different capacity would be assertiveness, would be being in a social context, either either with one person or a group of people. And when everything, the consensus is moving in one direction, and when you get this weird feeling or impulse of, I actually want to go in a different direction, or I disagree, to be able to kind of, you know, confront and push back that social and psychological pressure and actually speak up, you know, and step back. And when everyone is going in a certain direction for you to kind of um, move in a different direction, right? Or, or being able to engage in conflict productively, right? Not just fight for its fight's sake, but actually bring up a conflict, you know, which is a very tender situation because relationships are on the line. Uh, you know, if, if your smooth cooperation is something that the company depends on, having a conflict right in front of a tight deadline, like that could be existential for the company and other people. So being able to do that kind of productively and constructively so that at the end you actually arrive to a better solution than you could if either we followed option A or option B, I think that's a, that is a capacity in its own right, right? So what, what was really exciting, what you said is maybe we could ground personal development in development of personality capacities. And if we take either the big five, the big mm. six, whatever, and identify kind of both yeah. poles of each each of the traits. And I think we could do that now. Like it's, I don't, I don't think it would be that difficult. Like, and finding ways to basically, yeah. like that would be the first thing, like mapping out those capacities, which I think mm. we can just rest on the shoulder or stand on the shoulders of giants of people with lexical studies kind of scouring dictionaries and throughout different languages and asking people to rate themselves and other people they know on it and then f- finding out how different mm. adjectives cluster together that's been done <laughs> that's been done like there's there's fine tune yep, that exists detail on like are there five are there six the meta traits are there two is there one whatever but if we have that identified then the next step would basically be okay can we now start searching for certain processes we can guide people through, right? And here, for example, contextual behavioral science that I mentioned while, a while back, I think in, in the first episode, they, I think they distinguish between 
processes and procedures. So a process is something that's unfolding in you right now. So if I if I ask you, can you remember what you did right before starting with this podcast, either listening it or talking to me? Can you actually take a moment and kind of do this right now? And you notice that you start a certain process. I remember the in gist. Your mind. Right? Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. it's a process that you can start, you can tap into. It's like opening or closing your hand. And then a procedure is something mm. that you can use externally to help induce a certain process. It's not the process, right? So being compassionate, being assertive as a process, would then we would need to, yes, operationalize what are those processes? How can we measure them through self-report, through observing people, through maybe even certain physiological markers? Now that biofeedback stuff is getting more and more kind of accessible, you can wear, you know, if you're willing to shave your head, you can get very sensitive stuff, you know, and carry around a backpack with a power bank. Like you can have your 24-7 readout of your EEG stuff, you know. <laughs> Beaming it. Yeah, yeah, you could have that, yeah, right? <laughs> Even if you don't shave your head, right? You can have electrodes that are a bit less sensitive. Yeah. You can have your heart rate variability, like a lot of different stuff. So if if we could measure the processes well enough, then we could start playing around. Okay, so what are the different procedures that are out there? And they exist as well. There's assertiveness trainings, there's compassion trainings, there's whatever. And then you could really start narrowing down on, okay, what works, right? And that that for me sounds like something that that could be, but let's, let's just check before we commit to this assumption too deeply. Is it Mm. comprehensive to basically identify and equate personal development with development of, of personality capacity. So the big six and whatever facets they they kind of boil down to. Is there any other aspect that that's missed by this? And and just to mm. kind of well, wrap yeah, up this thought mm. is Sorry, the, the personality kind of mm. traits, they're organized in a hierarchy from kind of meta-level traits to traits to aspects to facets and even finer. So I think... Ultimately, if we kind of use this framework, we could come all the way down to a very micro level skill, right? And and how it would be organized or maybe different things that would be composites. Because that, that's what I noticed in a lot of training programs. Like people come up with certain concepts. I don't, <laughs> don't want to single out any one of them to kind of direct unjust <laughs> critique to some of them. But some critique that has already been raised, for example, was the concept of grit, right? Oh, by Duckworth. Yeah, so I was just had, thinking grit. Yeah. Okay, yeah, that's yeah. funny. So you have you have this exact example conscientiousness, but they also afterward the fact in kind of they added this persistence of interest, they added engagement, they added passion and related constructs. So I think a lot of what's out there in personal development right now is people find certain kind of atomic level capacities, traits, facets, whatever. Um, and then they bunch them together and then they label them like this is a new capacity. Well, it might not be, you know, mm. it might be a unique way to bunch them together. Mm. But for me, it, it kind of comes down to having this periodic table of capacities, right? So what are the atomic level yes. kind of personal, relational, whatever capacities that people have? And then, you know, then then a whole science of, you know, chemistry could come out of that. How do you bunch the capacities together? Some of them relate, you know, some of them may be facilitative to each other. Some of them may be inhibiting. Yeah. Is it kind of related to what you've been doing uh, to the school, the, um, 
to the school thing, I those kind of kernels that you'd spoken about. Um, yeah. Just wondering if yeah. there's kind of a it is it is convergence <laughs> there, but it is. I mean, we're in in the starting stages of just defining like what are and uh, we ran out of time and resources to kind of really complete this first iteration of the process well enough. But at some point, I remembered. When you look at the actual questions in the questionnaires and instruments people use to measure stuff, and I kind of organized this this immense, massive spreadsheet with different kind of questionnaires that are that have been published for different stuff. And when you look at the actual questions, and then you wash away the time scale on which they measure stuff, and then you kind of wash away the kind of prefixes of the question, and then you're just left with kind of words, basically nouns or adjectives. And then when you start looking for synonyms, like there's not an infinite number of stuff people measure, right? Um, so what I wanted mm. to do ideally would be to basically find if there's if there's a way to kind of unify or synthesize personality traits, character traits, and then you know core psychosocial capacities and skills. Um, and we 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 couldn't really complete that that process in a level that would be kind of um, I don't know, comprehensive or, or kind of rigorous enough, but there's a lot of overlap. So I, I think, yes, it is It is related to what mm. we're doing and, and the fact that we're trying to identify what's, what are those capacities that currently the educational system does not address properly, that are domain general, that are related to, yep. you know, psychological well-being, nourishing relationships, and kind of healthy participation in wider and wider social systems. And again, like you mentioned, I think already during this broadcast or in the discussion we had previously, those are all normative judgments, right? If we if we stop beating around the bush, the question that I feel that we're pursuing right now is, what should we cultivate with humans? <laughs> what characteristics should we should humans yeah. not should humans cultivate themselves, right? That's let's say a mature mm. adult personal development. But what are certain characteristics, mm. capacities, traits that we should cultivate with young humans as they're going through the phases where they're the most plastic, where they, they can develop kind of the, the easiest? Mm. For me, that's a very, very important question. But again, who decides? How do we decide? <laughs> yes, absolutely. And uh, very murky waters. Um, it also relates to kind of what it about the developmental crisis thing, which is like, if we create an environment, this is getting a bit sci-fi, obviously, but uh, where there's, everything's automated, people are people of leisure, there's no real kind of incentive in the environment to develop, um, so that all of the development is going to have to largely be created by social institutions or by, you know, groups of people, by culture. um, And how do we do that properly I think we're already trying to do that and doing it very badly um, in a very scattered way. So how could it be done? It's not like that we'll be the first people to try and do that, but <laughs> that it's um, it's already going on and not, um, perhaps not doing, in my opinion anyway, not based on something solid enough. Uh, so like I found it really interesting there that you went, you went down the stack, like into the kind of processes the atomic level of capacities and then into skills. But you could also go up the stack through personality traits to the meta-personality traits. And then you have the trade-off between expiration and security. 
and that that's playing out in each person. One person's more tilted towards security. One person's more tilted towards exploration. And in some situations, that'll be advantageous for them. In other situations, it might prevent them from, you know, pursuing whatever it is that they need to pursue. And so there has to be some transformation with that, some ability to go from one to the other. Mm-hmm. And that that's a trade-off process, um, much like evolution, again, that's occurring in a, a scarce environment that's changing and in a trade-off relationship. And so even if you push, I think it's interesting that at relevance realization works the same way that it's the, it's this tra- like at the level of attention, it's the trade-off between salience and prioritization and that that costs cognitive resources for you to prioritize one thing over another. So even if you go up, which could be deeper, um, you end up kind of at this, this, um, relevance realization trade-off situation um and how that could be essentially is is in a sense a solid foundation for the the changing of the personality like that it, it works on higher levels but then also on this low level of the atomic level of capacities mm-hmm. the evolution is taking place um and so it's all the parts are moving, I suppose, is the kind of um, the takeaway that that it requires. It requires awareness of all of these levels before we could have a big picture framework mm-hmm. for personal development. Um, if you were to just start on the atomic level of the capacities, you would quickly get, I think, bogged down yeah, by why sure. which capacities are relevant which ones matter <laughs> like there'd just be an infinite number yeah. of them um so yeah, having yeah. that 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 helps us yeah if i um, might just jump in i completely agree i i think mm. to kind of reconnect with with the point i mentioned before I, I don't think it's about helping people slide kind of from one trait more to another but after you have this preliminary kind of personality assessments with people and you identify that like they have high access in a certain kind of personality trait, for me, what, what the goal would be is to help people identify that process within themselves, that capacity, and, and give mm-hmm. them certain exercises, techniques to basically kind of induce that process, mm-hmm. right? So for a person who's very highly mm-hmm. kind of agreeable, um, to kind of give him a context in which he can become resourced and practiced in activating the pro- the capacity of assertiveness. And the end goal would basically be to help people become aware of like what their mind is basically capable of, the different capacities that they have, the different social and relational capacities. And then through a certain educational process to help them kind of very intimately, very psychologically, very personally come in touch with that processes and kind of notice, oh, I remember I had this I had this mm-hmm. experience once where I tend to be more a bit more agreeable and I remember there was this process where I didn't feel like doing something and kind of helping a different person and I just had this inside of you know what I can just stand up say sorry there's stuff I need to do and then just go to other stuff <laughs> and I remember the first time I kind of <laughs> consciously did that it was liberating and the other person wasn't that angry like they were yeah. frustrated but they were like Sure, like if there's important stuff you need to do, like I'm not gonna stop you, you know. And for me, yeah. I felt like, oh wow, yeah. Whew. like if I had this capacity sooner, you know, certain problems could be averted. 
And it's the same thing with like if that like let's stop beating on agreeableness yep. like as a as an example maybe conscientiousness and stuff like that right yep, yep. there are mm. kind of even though I feel like watching that extra YouTube video or giving in to pleasure short term like mm. I can observe my mind nagging me and kind of coming up with ingenious and creative and funny and believable excuses of why I can stop doing something. But I, I can listen to those thoughts and not give in to them and still keep doing stuff. And eventually they're going to quiet down and actually start becoming helpful. You know, that is a capacity you can do. Like you can wait it out, you know, the urges, the impulses, the, the stuff. Yep, so yep. I think that would be, that would be very, mm. it's like PE, right? Physical education in school. I imagine it as some kind of a subject that you would have, like in PE, you have, you develop certain muscle groups, you develop certain kind of sports, whatever. Yeah. I think that could be a solid basis. And I do think that the, the, the literature is mature enough to kind of, at least on the level of personality, to kind of start grounding, mm. grounding some of that. Yeah, it reminded me of what um, uh, Henricus and Verveke were talking about um, in one of the Psyche Pathology and Wellbeing episodes where they were using this kind of framework for psychotherapy, mm-hmm. um, like grounding Remember, yeah. it in specific like using the third person description of somebody's personality to apply it to like the first person autobiography account of like i think the example they gave was like college student very conscientious very high in openness also quite high in negative emotion finishes college can't get a job becomes depressed in a kind of cycle of anxiety and like how that would work and then how they could use the third person report essentially to say look there's you know, a feedback loop going on between your creativity and your negative emotion, which is that you feel really bad and you're really creative. So you can make up loads of stories about why you feel bad and make yourself feel worse. And that there's, there's then valuable information that can be applied to the treatment Mm -hmm. of that person to get them out of that rut in a way that's very not, I guess it, it crosses the boundary between art and science, which was something I wanted to talk about, about personal development um, like there's the science of personality traits, but then there's the art there of the person's actual, um, the facts of the person's experience, and yeah, that that you could use basically that framework to help people. I suppose that would be personal development or develop themselves um into better fittedness with their environment, um, and that that acts as kind of a a more stable framework for mental health and mental illness, um rather than the kind of somewhat dubious categories that exist in the DSM, um, which have certain presuppositions about, mm-hmm. you know, dualism, treating the body like a mind, um, and vice versa, and that they kind of pitch that this is a better um foundational framework and it's based on relevance realization. Um so there's a very interesting convergence there. I mean, we're not talking about it in a psychotherapeutic way, I suppose. Um, at least that's not I, I wouldn't have any experience in doing that so I'm looking at it more for people to improve them for like you know to teach people educationally uh, for metacognitive awareness that they can apply but there seems to be maybe some cross domain um, utility to this yeah yeah, I'm a. 
I think this is all intimately related, like personality, mental health, well-being, flourishing in life, personal development. Um, and I think it spills out into um, the kind of contextual attunement as well, like healthy relationships, you know, mm. divorce rates have been skyrocketing, uh, intergenerational gaps. Uh, also, it, I think it's very tightly related to how we relate to other people, because I think a template of how we relate to 100%. others is also how we relate to ourselves. For example, in, in CBS and Contextual Behavioral Science and in ACT, they found that this ability for perspective taking and empathy are very closely mm. related. And if, if you cannot find compassion for yourself, kind of be kind to yourself, it's very difficult or maybe even impossible to be kind to other people in a genuine way without you know, just being performative. Um, so I, I completely agree. And this is also one of my uh, things I, I do in, in my thesis, basically this link between kind of, I often say that mental health and well-being right now, we have a descriptive theory of it. Basically, we're, there's relative convergence on what, what that means, like defined for example, uh, mm -hmm. Enrique's kind of nested model of, of well-being, um, cognitive levels mm -hmm. of satisfaction across different life domains and in general, uh, affective stuff, um, you know, need satisfaction. Um, but that's all descriptive in the sense that, like, okay, you can describe it to people. And I actually did have an experience during a workshop once when we went through this kind of well-being model and people got, people got really anxious. Because they, the first time of their life, they right. kind of figured out, oh, so that what what holistic well-being means. That's what holistic well-being means, and I don't have that. Like I, I don't think I have any of those. <laughs> oh, you know, <laughs> people were getting really bummed out. You know, Fuck. And whatever. So yeah. that's descriptive. What a way and, to find out. And the the kind of next step, and what I'm I was trying to partially kind of empirically link is there's a functional description of, okay, that's the state. That's what we're aiming for. That's what we, what we would like to, let's say, optimize or maximize. How? Mm. How do you get there? What's something, <laughs> what are certain things I can do that are not dependent on other people? And just as a side tangent, I think Henriquez also mentioned his doubts around renewing his license and, and keeping whatever he's doing with psychotherapy, which I think is on a spectrum with, you know, psychological counseling, coaching, mm. you know, and just being a good friend with people or whatever. I think it's a continuum of basically supporting other people's and by extension, your own kind of well-being and certain capacities, right? That give rise to well-being. Mm. So I, I think there's, to, to close yeah. off this tangent, I think there's a there's a huge need and, and call for finding ways to spill out whatever's happening in the therapy room with licensed practitioners and professionals broadly into mm. kind of society and and basically making people a bit more literate on, on how to kind of take care of those capacities and cultivate them with themselves and with other people. And of course, the need for keeping it intimate and, and regulated and legislated and private is when you start creating contexts and relational kind of um, containers that encourage people to open up and become vulnerable about some very deep stuff, you can poke at vulnerable places and traumas of people and make stuff worse. Yes, that's true. But I think mm. with like this 80-20 rule, if you have the 20% the of the knowledge of what to do, what not to do, how to respond, how not to respond, I, I think 
it can be a lot safer. Like if people know not to give advice, not to, because mm. for example, what happens often is people start experiencing intense emotions and because other people yep. are uncomfortable with experiencing intense emotions, they try to start suppressing that and pushing that down instead of encouraging it, empathizing with it, you know, letting that out mm. to experience and express it fully. Right. Yep. That's not that, that difficult to get across to yep. people. Right. So just to wrap up, I think, um, mm. Yeah, to, to kind of make this link between the descriptive level of well-being, the functional level, which I personally have come to call attuned sovereignty, I think there's a set of psychological and relational capacities that my personal model is built on the hexaflex, the thing in ACT, uh, with six different psychological processes that are, funnily enough, in opponent <laughs> processing relationships. But I think that the, the mistake that they make is they label one of them as the cause of psychopathology and the other as the cause of of, of kind of psychological well-being. And my take is that I, 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 re, I reframe them into psychological expansion and psychological contraction. And both of those processes, I think, are valuable and needed. And both excesses of both could give rise to certain forms of psychopathology. Um, but I do agree and why they came to the conclusion that one is more related to, psycho, to psychopathology is because our culture very much emphasizes the psychological contraction poles, taking thoughts literally, staying inside the boxes of whatever identity you are, do not switch lanes, um, avoiding emotions, you know, being happy all the time, not being in the present, like kind of thinking about mm -hmm. the future, worrying about the past, doing what other people tell you to do and kind of being, um, you know, complacent with society instead of following your own chosen values and just acting habitually, you know, instead mm -hmm. of trying to develop and cultivate your own characters. So to, to come full circle, descriptive level of well-being, functional level of certain capacities, and then the baseline is basically certain personality traits defined in a way that I think Colin DeYoung did initially, which is kind of genetically and neurologically based parameters of personality traits, right, of, of your cybernetic system. So in that sense, if I push it far enough, I would say that there would be no legitimate way and valid way to measure personality aside from brain scans and maybe some laboratory observational studies. And everything else that you measure with with with, uh, with questionnaires and self-report, that's already tapping into character and your mm -hmm. interpretations of stuff and the things you've developed on top of that, right? Yeah. So for me, personal development in a mm -hmm. way would be this, let's say it's science or craft or art, of starting with the person, where they're at, their personality, kind of their context that's relatively stable and unchangeable. Then moving up into, okay, what have you already developed and what are certain resources and capacities we can tap into, like character, and what are then certain deficits of personality or character that we would need to kind of cultivate? And to do that, figuring out, okay, what capacities do we need to strengthen with you first to make the process easier so that you can experience higher and higher levels of well-being? For example, defined by PERMA as positive affect, engagement in life, uh, nourishing relationships, meaning in life and achievement, right? That's just one model of well-being. But eventually, when you see enough of them, they all start to merge together. And, <laughs> and yeah. I was like, going to say, I could just see you looking at millions of models of well-being. <laughs> and they kind of say the same thing <laughs> eventually.
but yeah, it is. That's I mean, God, there's like so much there, and thanks for for bringing it all around as well because there's a tremendous amount of info. Um, particularly going from the start, I suppose the evolutionary traps and kind of the the mental health crisis again is another one of these crisis mental yeah or kind of meta crisis that's going on, which I I see this work, I suppose, or I hope, um, is aiming towards addressing in some fashion to give people the tools for that meta-awareness or cognitive awareness of things that are even like affect, how your emotions work, how you can relate to them, tools that you can use to deal with them, habits that can, you know, to, to again, it's the evolutionary literacy, the psychological literacy that it, it's become very apparent that people need that kind of education in order to exist in the 21st century in the context that we're in. Um, and yeah, bring it, I mean, how, how that can be done. And there, the thing with well-being, I suppose, as you pointed out, is that there is an implicit normativity there mm-hmm. that leads to factionation at times, particularly in psychology. Like there's stuff in psychology that they would say that's part of mental well-being that, you know, I might go, what the hell is that? Or what is this? This seems like absolute nonsense. Like, yeah, like, and you start to get these political ideas slipping into it or stuff that like, that's really the big question is like, who, who norms the norms? Like where, and you know, the postmodern critique of it, oh, it's the most powerful group that sets the, the normativity or whatever. As a grain of truth, and right? I suppose the, which does very much, um, and is a real problem, uh, and is also, I suppose the reason for trying to ground it in something that's fundamentally solid in evolution, that's not, I mean, I guess you could, you could argue everything is tainted a little bit, but the, the relevance grounding it in recursive relevance realization shows that the normativity is in some sense conditional on the agent. It's not like a, a kind of, hypernormal Kantian mm. deontological like mm. order from God. It's like, no, we're all stuck in this embodied cognitive, you know, being, and we realize relevance in a, a way that's unique to us. And we need this dialogue maybe, maybe in to order to that. get to something. Cause I think there's, mm. we're just uh, in hyperspeed mm. right now. And there's a, a lot of different, <laughs> yeah. different insights <laughs> bubbling up. Um, but just to kind of focus yeah. on this one. Yeah. That I think you used the mm. phrase that um, relevance or normativity or ethics, like it's highly conditional mm. to the agent or something, something like that. Mm. And for me, what I'd like to mm. kind of build on that is, yes, if at certain parallel universes ants were the ones to develop develop sentience and whatever, they might have a different ethics, you know, and they might squash humans like we squash ants, mm. you know, because they're eating our grain supplies and whatever. Um, but for me, what I think yep. there's a unique possibility in humans, or maybe in any being that would come to this level, the, the first, but to start developing ethical frameworks for kind of a whole world, a whole ecosystem, a Gaia level kind of ethics. Because I think humans mm. can. Again, why would we be incentivized to do that? What would be the rewards for doing that? What would be the punishments for not doing that? And I think all of that is there and it is clear. Mm. But how can humans start developing ethical frameworks? But that sounds already too abstract. How can we start looking at the world and relating Mm. to the world in a way that takes into account the well-being of other agents as well, not just our own? So how can we start acting in a way that values 
ends, that values trees, that values the water cycle, that values the nutrient cycle, the nitrogen cycle, that values not just other humans and other kind of groups of humans, other beings in the world, right? And I think there is a potential to start developing this kind of whole system um, ethics, right? And the thing to optimize would be probably for stability of the global ecosystem, while also allowing and encouraging yeah. novel and novel, more complex forms of evolution to start. Like I would, for me, what I would, what I would kind of uh, wrap up with, because I'm feeling I'm getting close to the my oxygen tank for intellectual <laughs> exploration in depth <laughs> is running well. low. And I, I think yeah. in in trying to be of service to listeners and trying to kind of still during this episode to kind of bring it back and to kind of offer certain nuggets mm. of, I don't know, usability. I would wrap up mm. with, with, I think it's Pierre de Chardin that really influenced me, which um, I think that humans in a way the challenge that's facing us right now is how can we stably integrate into the global ecosystem? How can we figure out a way to live societies, civilizations, technologies, social practices, the whole works? How can we stably integrate ourselves into the global ecosystem in a way that we can reasonably imagine, also if we run it through like game theory and different experiments, a way of life that is viable a thousand, ten thousand, fifty thousand years down the line? and start acting as a platform for novel forms of life to emerge on top of us as humans, right? Because we are, trees have stably integrated themselves into the, the global ecosystem. And they're a platform through their oxygen production, their wood, their, you know, fertilizing their habitat space for other forms of life to kind of evolve around or on top of them. I really hope humans can get to that point sooner <laughs> rather than later and, and maybe not aspire for us humans to kind of ride this edge of complexity and evolution all the time kind of tyrannical you know humans always need to stay at the top maybe not maybe we figure out a certain kind of niche and certain function that we perform and then finding maybe ways to marry biology with technology you know and forming synthetic forms of life that could survive in the vacuum of space you know but would still have this essence of life in it and they would be able to kind of accede you know, plop down on different ecosystems and then evolve into something that fits that ecosystem, right? And not for us to try, like, I want to go to Mars or I want to go to the different star, like, as a meat bag, as a human, you know? Maybe not. <laughs> maybe maybe we can be a springboard <laughs> for life, you know, to do that. That would be cool. Like, mm -hmm. it would be incredibly sad if humans, as stewards of this precious little marble, like, if we stumbled, you know, and did stupid shit that would lead to kind of the extinguishment of this process called life you know with the sample of one knowing that it's just on earth that would be very very sad and if i could I, yeah. I, that's what i do Screwed it up. that's a part of what i do what i do is because i really do think that humans and human civilizations as it is right now it, we're very highly unstable and helping kind of have this yes. psychological and evolutionary literacy i think that would be very very useful and effective in helping us when we go through our lives when future generations of scientists come up with mind-blowing technologies to do it in a way that actually benefits and supports and cares for life on earth and not just you, you know, or your company or your, your, your country. Yeah. Yeah. And there's again, so much that, and that, I mean, the question of the ethical, the ethical system thing, 
that's really what I'm where like where I'm going for this in terms of the laying out the biological substrata underneath that there's already this kind of emergent ethical mm-hmm. that we have yeah, like a basic cable yeah. biological ethical system we're not starting from scratch it's already there it's already generalized and individualized and works on a couple of levels and that a lot of culture and tradition and wisdom tradition and spiritual tradition has been trying to get that into a shape that actually works um, and that has worked on the individual to say to go from the state of unthought judgments about people that end in violence and destruction and genocide and you know becoming infatuated with the lower angels of our nature to people like socrates who are capable of reflecting on these ethical judgments and acting morally in the the face of what we kind of discussed earlier but that 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 ethical question is it's not an abstract prepositional thing i mean that's the way we communicate it but it's very much to do with how we all see the world. Um, and that's very much about how we're all going to act in the world, like that it hits all the four Ps. Um, and so for us to have this global society, this 21st century one that's integrated, that is truly a global society, we need to have a global framework that's to do with a universal ethics that's emergent from a universal theory of human nature rather than anything that's specifically individualized um and so the 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 socio-cultural elements aren't as pronounced in it or that we've somehow managed to get kind of almost this like um that an agnostic kind of universal theory that that ethical theory that can be applied um which we can we can use in order to cooperate because as we said before i mean ethics is about values values are goals it's about shared goals it's about seeing the same set of facts in front of you because of relevance realization we see different relevant things and we can't just make everybody see the same thing we can't yeah. make everybody find the same thing relevant we, we shouldn't so <laughs> we shouldn't do that so we need to have a framework educationally where everybody can understand why we have these different relevance and appreciate it and thus then have a state of whereby we can start to use that to build ourselves rather than to have this kind of conflict the whole time um that distributed cognition that Raveki talks about like harnessing that through our understanding rather than i suppose being its um unconscious proponents uh so I guess like I add, um, sorry go ahead just from my side mm. in terms of closure um, for me when it comes to yeah. ethics and why I'm very trepidatious when when talking about this especially publicly is um, I think like I mentioned in our pre-podcast discussion the ethics can be a very strong basis and justification for forms of coercion and violence right so for me it yep. it's very important that whatever kind of ethical frameworks or lenses that we try to polish and kind of invite people to look through. Um, Mm. I think Mm. it's really important to help people connect with different aspects of reality, connect with different aspects of themselves, connect with different people, and then come to their own Mm. insights and their own experiences and their own conclusions instead of kind of feeding them pre-thought out commandments. Right. And I think it's, Mm. if at a certain point, we start coercing other people into doing mm. stuff that they do not want. That becomes for yeah. me very, very, very suspicious 
I say suspicious because on the other mm. side, like I mentioned, there are cases when people are a engaging in acts of harming people and destruction. Like I, I did mention, it's still, it mm. stuck with me. I, I still haven't processed it, but in our, where I live, like there was a news story about a woman almost being beaten to death with a baseball bat. And there were people walking nearby that were observing and recording with cell phones. And then it took, I don't know how many people that like one person stepped in and engaged in a form of coercion and violence towards that other person, you know, and then took their bat away and they ran away and whatever. Like, where do you draw the line? Like, how do you approach people who are, for whatever reason, engaging in harm, either to ecology, to other people, mm. to cultures, to intangible assets like the educational system and taking funding away from it? You know, <laughs> how do you how do you respond to that? Like, when other people are already engaging in forms of violence without risking to just perpetuate and heighten forms of violence. And for me, an ethical framework should tackle both of those issues, right? How to give freedom to people mm. and encourage their exploration and autonomy and stuff like that. And on the other side, how to respond to people who are, you could say, engaging and limiting the freedom of others or actually harming you know, certain parts of the substrate or whatever that you care about. So, yeah, that's a tricky thing that I do not have an answer for. <laughs> oh, so difficult, man. It's a whole other kettle of fish as well in terms of like educating, but you know, then, yeah, people might not like you and might kill you and then you can't really educate. Um, <laughs> yeah. Like a la Socrates. Um, so, they, yeah, but I, I, if you think about it, there's something, like in terms of the whole Russia-Ukraine situation, mm -hmm. like it, it made me think about democracy, that like democracy exists by giving everybody the right to choose, but what if somebody chooses to try and take it over yeah. and be a dictator I, I'm like very, that's their like, democratic I, I like choice but, but i think like it, it's it has inbuilt limitations mm, the type tyranny of the majority uh, yeah. you know there's there's different processes like holacracy yes. and stuff like that and others that i probably don't know mm. about in sociocracy and stuff like that that i think are better forms of governance than democracy building on the best parts but mm. adding new things as well but yeah like i really do think we need novel governance structures and processes and yeah like having it in a way that's very yep. bottom-up, that's very natural to people, that's empowering people. But just to close off with a bit of a conspiratorial note, <laughs> I think that Sweet. <laughs> this, this whole process of um, empowering people and kind of starting mm. waves of literacy, there are parts of society and certain agents and consortiums of agents whose... Power is dependent on people not having those capacities and skills. You know, if people are very rigid mm -hmm. and if people are unable to change their personalities and if they are easily conditionable through different forms of media, social media, peer pressure, you know, taking people's risking or threatening to take people's jobs away, it's easier to kind of direct them and steer them and lead them, you know. So I think that not to be naive, but whatever processes that we start, like I, I do expect pushback and I do expect, um, mm. and there, there is such a thing as taking this too far. I think a, a case study would be basically the, the psychedelic and hippie movements in America, right? Where people started taking all kinds of psychedelics and different practices that basically dissolve conditioning in a way. And you're, we're all one man yep. you know? and you're not really American, you're human and whatever, you know? And 
all kinds of sexual yeah. and role structures and they just kept dissolving and dissolving and dissolving. And I think there is a point where you can take this too far, you know? So that's another pair of opponent <laughs> processes that we'll need to, you know, navigate through. <laughs> Man. It's like Tom and Jerry or something when you're just like surrounded by mouse traps, like every, <laughs> like yeah. every, every step potentially. Um, but yeah, I think, I mean, we've gone very far there. I think there was a lot of stuff that, um, that clarified quite a bit for me. Um, I think we have a bit of a, bit more of a stack. So maybe next time we can see how that applies to mm. some of these things. I, I was very interested in what you're saying about well being and then maybe looking at the, the descriptive and the functional and mm. seeing where we can kind of apply that to create some utility for people that might be listening um, beyond just the intellectual exercise, I suppose. Um, yeah, the, the teaser yeah. or the challenge that I would set for myself, because I, if I say it in public, it's kind of a commitment. <laughs> it's, uh, I think we were, we were talking about this before the podcast. How do you get to a point where, let's say, your salience landscape, like your your nature, you're, you're tempted by the bad, right? You're tempted by the dysfunctional. You want mm. to watch YouTube videos when they're not useful. You want to indulge mm. in honored pleasure. You want to, you know, your attention, you're being drawn yeah. in a certain direction. And the first step is investing mm. energy and effort and willpower to kind of mm. use shoulds. I should do something different. I should not use that. And it's, it's, it's an energy expensive process and you need to kind of force yourself in a way but then, for me, what I'd like to explore in the next episode is, I think, suffering. This kind of, how do you start the process of, mm. of handing over this mm. conscious intention of what you want to change about yourself to all of this kind of lower brain regions, the limbic system, the cerebellum, the habits, the whatever, so that you can end up to a point where you're naturally mm. drawn to be compassionate. You're naturally, you, you're looking forward to a good hard day of work and following your goals and kind of, you're looking forward to kind of, you know, being kind to other people, to eating healthy, you know, it's, it's, it, it draws you there. How do you make that shift? Um, I have a few ideas, <laughs> Well, I'll try to generate a few more yeah. and a few more practical kind of techniques, exercises to share with people. That's beautiful topic, man. Becoming tempted by the good. Um, yeah, that that's going to be very interesting and definitely something maybe yeah, we can bring in a bit of our own experience and stuff mm -hmm. we've talked about maybe before that we've been working on and where maybe we've done a little bit of that mm -hmm. or where, you know, it feels like we might be able to offer some um, practical insight or anecdotal evidence, I suppose. Mm -hmm. um, but we can save that for the next one. Yeah. Thanks again, Misha. That was mind-blowing. Thank you.